You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual Well, this is awkward. I'm recording this a couple of weeks ago. So you all listening, all of you, you know something I don't yet know, which is how the Supreme Court came down on marriage equality. That decision is due imminently as I record this introduction. Um, It was due weeks ago as you listen. Nancy Hartunian, the producer of the Savage Lovecast, is away on vacation She gets to have vacations too. So we had to bank a couple of shows and talk about shitty timing for having a topical top of the Savage Lovecast and banking a show because it's pride and here comes the Supreme Court decision and how did pride go and how did the Supreme Court – what decision did they give us on marriage and how did the Republican fucking shitty candidates react and how did the Democratic candidates react – Hopefully the Democratic candidates and liberals and progressives and people at Pride Parades were all celebrating. And the Rick Santorums, Mike Huckabees, Jeb Bush's, Rand Paul's, Marco Rubio's, Ted Cruz's, Donald Trump's of the world were mourning. We're being very sad because traditional marriage is now over in the United States. Actually not. You can still get traditionally married in places where same-sex couples can legally wed like all of Canada – And all of Mexico, Mexico, their Supreme Court, this week, as I speak, legalized same-sex marriage all across Mexico. So we are the missing piece of North America now. America, land of the free, home of the brave, always last, always last to get there. Think about, you know, we're coming up on an election. We're going to have a chance to vote on perhaps our first female president. Unless Bernie Sanders, who's surging in New Hampshire, steals the nomination away, we will be voting for Hillary. I will be voting for Hillary if she gets the nomination. I'll be voting for Bernie if he gets the nomination. But I'll be voting for Hillary. And if she wins, you know what's going to happen. The entire country is going to fold in half to give itself a blowjob about how awesome this is that we elected our first female president. Doesn't that just say wonderful things about where we are now on gender equality and what a terrific nation we are? And I deputize all of you wherever you are when that happens to stand up on a chair and say, Golda Meir, Benazir Bhutto, (laughs) Margaret Thatcher, Angela Merkel. Like Other countries have had female heads of states. Fucking Pakistan had a female head of state in the 80s. Fucking Pakistan. We are laggards when it comes to electing women to high office. And we are laggards when it comes to marriage equality in North America. Canada and Mexico both beat us there to it. But hopefully we got it. And yay for us. Yay for equality. Yay for traditional marriage. We have to reject this Republican frame that you are for the rights of same-sex couples to marry, or you are for traditional opposite-sex marriage. You can be for both. That is the trick. I'm for both. I support my heterosexual siblings' heterosexual marriages, their traditional opposite-sex marriages. I support my neighbors and their opposite-sex marriages. I support Nancy Hartoon. Well, no, actually, Nancy Hartoonian's opposite-sex marriage I have issues with, which we will not unpack on the show. 
I support them. You can do both. Republicans who are sad now if we have marriage equality, you can do both. And liberals and progressives and Democrats who are sad now if we don't have it, we have to keep making the argument that you can have both. You know something I don't know. It's very hard for me to talk about this in a speculative fashion. There's one thing I can talk about in a definitive fashion though. The makeup of the United States Supreme Court, the nine motherfuckers who sit in that courtroom matters. It matters. We would not have seen the Voting Rights Act disemboweled if Al Gore was president and had been appointing people to the Supreme Court instead of George W. Bush. We would not have seen Citizens United if there were more sane people, fewer Robertses and Alitos and Scalias and Thomases on the Supreme Court and more Sotomayors and Kagans and Stevens on the Supreme Court. So whatever you think of whoever the Democratic nominee winds up being, Bernie or Hillary, it matters having a Democrat in the White House to appoint the new members of the United States Supreme Court. There will probably be two members of the court retiring in the next four years. Ginsburg might be one of them. God bless Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but she is not immortal. And we need a Democrat in the White House appointing her replacement. So as a condition of continuing to listen to my podcast, you will register to vote and you will vote and you will vote the way I tell you to. That's part of our deal. Just getting conservatives out there who listen and then whine and complain whenever I say something like this. You are allowed to keep listening too, but I'm allowed to hector you about who I'd rather you were voting for than Jeb exclamation point. But we Democrats who are listening, liberals, progressives, even radicals, yes, whoever the Democratic nominee, unless it's Bernie, whoever it is, isn't perfect. But better than the alternative is still better than the alternative. And if for no other reason to register to vote and vote for the Dem next November, the Supreme Court, because the Constitution of the Supreme Court, the makeup of the court, it fucking matters. As you saw when the decision on marriage equality came down after we recorded this show. I salute you, people of the future. I hope you're celebrating wherever you are. And now your calls. Hi, Dan. Uh, I am a 23-year-old lesbian, and I am just calling because recently my girlfriend, I have a living girlfriend, and she hasn't really wanted to have sex. Uh, about a month ago, um, I had been drinking too much, and I had alcohol poisoning. And since that point, she said that she just didn't feel like having sex after that. And I'm just wondering if that's something that I should wait out. I since quit drinking and I feel like I've done a lot on my part um, to try to repair that. But I, I'm just wondering if you think that there's something more there or if you think, that, you know, should I wait it out or should do you think that we should break up? Is this, you know, a sign of something bigger? Um, I'm just kind of wondering how best to have that conversation because every time I have tried to have a conversation, um, that I feel like I want to have sex, you know, and she doesn't, I, I feel like I get shut down and, um, I think that she feels like I'm criticizing her, um, which I'm really not trying to do. Also, we had agreed previously, um, to be in an open relationship and we had kind of started dating other people 
And then um, she said recently that she no longer felt comfortable with that. So she felt like we had to kind of repair things. So I, I'm just kind of wondering what your opinion is. Do you think that we should break up or I should hold out? Or how do you think is the best way to approach that conversation? Okay, so you know what I'm going to tell you to do, right? No. <laughs> oh, for Christ's sake. What am I going to tell you? Guess, guess. Um, well, I guess I should catch you up that my girlfriend and I already broke up. So I oh, okay. <laughs> well, who in- I'm so glad. Who initiated the breakup? Who Who ended it? Kind of me, but also sort of both. I think that it was, but now I'm feeling all conflicted, like I made the wrong decision and I don't know. <laughs> how, how long, how long were you two together? Two years. Two years. Okay. That's a long time. And in that time, you stopped having sex. You had to quit drinking because you got way too drunk one night. Alcohol poisoning, that's seriously a problem. And I agree with your girlfriend there that that, that was a problem. And I think you agree too, right? Yeah. And But it sounds like – this sounds like a case where somebody was – your girlfriend was – picked an event as an excuse to stop fucking you and then made it your fault. Right? Like this happened and so I'm not going to fuck you anymore and I'm not going to – I don't want to talk about it. And when you try to talk to me about it, I'm going to blow up or be angry. And for me, that, yeah. that always just looks like somebody who doesn't want to fuck you anymore but needs wants to pin it on you, wants to blame you for the fact that they're not fucking you when the real reason they're not fucking you is they just don't want to fuck you. But they, they, they gin up some fucking causes belli where they can go, I would totally be fucking you except for that thing that you did or that thing that happened. And now I don't want to fuck you. And I would, if that hadn't happened, I'd be totally fucking you. So your fault that I'm not fucking you. Yeah. I mean, I, I just want to, yeah. You. I don't think that like she specifically worded it that way. It was just, I mean, after that happened, she was like, yeah, I need some time. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And then of, of course, probably since we weren't having sex, we just started fighting all the fucking time. So then we broke up and now we live together and, <laughs> oh, and how's so, that going? Um, it's fine now, actually, since we broke up, we stopped arguing with each other. So, <laughs> um, that, that's sometimes magic. I, I've had this, I've seen this happen before where two people, when they're officially together, it's contentious. It's horrible. They're, they're trying to control each other because they feel subconsciously because I am the girlfriend. I have rights. I have a right to control. You have a right to dictate your behavior. And when you fall short or you piss me off, I, I have a right to blow up. And then they break up and they're roommates and they stop policing each other. They stop treating each other like their property that they have certain right to control and their relationship becomes breezy, easy and fun again. I feel like that is totally what happened. And but, but here's the thing. Unless you guys can articulate that this was the process, that the problem when we were together was this bullshit attitude that we have to root out, that you know we controlled and owned each other and we were answerable to each other in this particular bullshitty high-conflict way, unless we can identify that as a dynamic that we're not going to recreate – we can't get back together because this thing that right. is tempting us to get back together now because we're in this easy breezy place where we're not trying to control each other. The minute we say we're girlfriends again, if we go back to trying to control each other, we've recreated the circumstances that led to the breakup. You know, we recreated the dynamic that convinced yeah. us we couldn't be together. So we can get back together, but no more controlling crazy. You're my girlfriend. I get to dictate to you and vice versa. Bullshit. We're both autonomous equal individuals who are together because we enjoy each other and we're going to love and support each other. And, you know, there'll be conflict and, you know, you'll do things that annoy me. I'll do things that annoy you, but this like 
24-7, you know, eye-in-the-sky motor shit about controlling each other. That's got to stop. Yeah, that's really good advice. It's something that I sort of realized, like, we we drove back from Portland together, and um, I don't know. I, I was like, oh, that thing that you just said that would normally annoy me, I'm just going to let it go, which I don't know why I couldn't do that before. <laughs> you know you could, You know why you couldn't do that before? Because you thought, I have to stamp out this annoying thing because she is my life partner, and if I don't stamp out this annoying thing, it will annoy me every day forever, right? Yeah. And this, yeah. <laughs> the skill you have to develop in a long-term relationship is your partner sometimes does annoying things, and you pretend that it didn't happen. You ignore it. You pay the fucking price of admission, which is sometimes you just roll your eyes and keep your fucking mouth shut. And if it's a minor thing, like if your partner punches you in the face, you don't ignore that, right? If your partner is rude or inconsiderate or not working or using you or is emotionally abusive, all those, you don't ignore those things. Those aren't prices of admission that anyone should pay. But your partner has some little quirk or tick or habit that annoys you. You can learn to ignore that. Terry, the example I always use, cannot make himself food without leaving everything involved laying out all over the counter. I used to yell at him, put the mayonnaise away, put the ham away, put the mustard away, put the bread away. And then one day I just put it all away myself. And that was so much easier. Yeah. And so the price of admission I pay to be with Terry is I clean up after him when he touches anything because he can't put anything away. And it's worth it. Like it's totally worth it. And so if your partner has this annoying tick in a car, like she plays a certain kind of shitty music you hate – you can ignore it. You can make that the price of admission you pay. But the mistake people make, as you just, you know, what you just said, is you can't let it go. Sometimes people get this idea in their head that now that we're together, this thing that if we were just friends or we weren't together, I would just let go. I can't let it go. I have to stamp it out. I have to exterminate it. And it becomes this yeah. con- this conflict generator. And the, I'm That's telling, so interesting. I never, I never uh, looked at it that way. I guess I should just tell you the thing that really annoys me. She would say, um, "Sorry, it's Wendy again." She would always be like, "You know, I'm not trying to attack you." I'm like, what? I didn't even. I wasn't even mad. You didn't say anything. I don't understand what. <laughs> well, that is that is such a lesbian uh, form of attack. I have to say that is what lesbians <laughs> say right before they punch you, <laughs> verbally punch yeah. you. I, so, I don't know why she would say that either, but. What else? But, you know, I think regardless, you know, letting it go and I think hopefully just let some time pass and then, I don't know, if we did decide to get back together, things would hopefully then be different. I don't know. It would be wonderful <laughs> if people could be as uncontrolling with their partners as they are with their friends. Like nobody yeah. in a friendship tries to fix everything about their friend that annoys them. They just like, yeah, my friend has some annoying qualities and I try not to focus on them and focus on what I really like about my friend. And when my friend's being super annoying, I, you know, I go away or I, you know, I take a time out or I don't hang out with them at those times, you know, and you can take the same tack with a partner, a partner or with a lover, with a spouse. Right. You know, there are things by, by my spouse that annoy me and I don't fucking spend all my time working on those things or thinking about those things. And when my partner's being particularly shitty, I go read a book or I say, hey, let's watch television so we don't have to talk to each other for two hours. <laughs> let's go to the movies and sit silently beside each other. And then we don't have to talk about this shit, the conflicts. We don't have to focus on it. We can focus together on something else. Yeah. So Thank you. <laughs> don't, get back, don't get back together with this girl unless you can have this conversation with her and unpack this dynamic and diffuse it. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Thanks so much for calling. You're welcome. Hi, Dan. I'm the text heavy at-risk youth. I'm a, 
a young 20s gay man from Western Canada, and I just had a weird experience recently that I don't know who else to ask about. I, I was at a party and came home in late night, and I was browsing Grinder, and someone was, who had a, like a bi discreet profile wrote me and said, hey, are you interested in doing something for money? And I said, what do you want me to do? And he said, not that much, just maybe jerk me off a little bit, we can meet up, and I'll give you 200 bucks. And I was like, of course, that sounds great. So I met up with him, and we drove to a park, got out of the car, it was dark. I took my shirt off, he took his shirt off, he jerked himself off, and we were done. He handed me $200 crash, and then it was over. And then he drove me home, and he was super nice and there was nothing weird and uncomfortable and dangerous about it but it occurred to me that it could have been really dangerous and scary and I don't know that I'm prepared or that I was prepared for what could have happened there and I'm wondering if there are any ground rules going into a situation like this. I like don't necessarily want to make a profession of this but it's something that's going to happen again probably because that was great money and he was nice and it was kind of fun and exciting. Um, yeah, so what what do I do? Is there anything that I feel like obviously discretion is key for him, so I know his name, but I can't like give all the information to someone just in case. Uh, yeah, so are there any ground rules for my safety, ground rules for how to treat this relationship? Is there like a finite point at which I have to start, I don't know, treating him more like a business and less like, or more like a, more like an ongoing friendship or I don't know. I believe you may be overthinking this. Doesn't sound like you want to go into sex work professionally. There's tons of great writing out there, uh, some books out there. If you Google around, you'll find them about how to take up sex work professionally. But that's not what you're asking about. You're asking about just this one guy who offered you 200 bucks to go jack off with him. And he seemed perfectly nice and perfectly respectful. And you jacked off with him and he paid you the 200 bucks. And you might want to go jack off with him again sometime for the money. And for the thrill and for the walk on the wild side. And it doesn't sound like a, a situation or a circumstance with a lot of built-in risks. You had a good feeling about this guy. You hooked up with him. If money hadn't changed hands, you probably wouldn't feel that much differently about it and you would apply the same kind of common sense to those interactions with someone you don't know very well that you should apply in this case. If he, if he gives you a bad feeling, don't keep seeing him. Trust your gut. If he does something crazy or weird – leave. You can leave at any time. And you can confide in someone about who you're with and where you're going. If you have any concerns, it's not a violation of this privacy for you to let a friend know that you're hanging out with this guy. You don't know him very well. If you disappear, not that you're going to disappear, but if you disappear to have left that phone number and name, even if it's just a first name with a friend, not a violation of his privacy not some sort of violation of the implicit terms that money changing hand obligates you to in any way. You're allowed to advocate for your own safety in that moment. I can include leaving his name and number with a buddy. And just a theory from left field. I have heard from people in the past and I've known people, actually personally known people, who got off on paying for it. They even paid people that they really didn't need to pay for it. For it, People who wanted to sleep with them anyway, they paid them because they were aroused by the whole like John – sex worker thing, the whole prostitute John thing kind of turned their crank and it was their fetish. It was their role play thing with some actual real money changing hands. That could very well be the case for him. You were already talking to him before he made this offer. So I assume you were attracted to him on some level, but this is kind of what turns him on. This is his kink. You're being GGG by taking the do re mi. 
Enjoy. Don't overthink it. Use the same common sense safety approach you would use with anybody else that you were hooking up with that you didn't know well. Hi, Dan. I'm a 33-year-old straight man living in the Northwest. I'm in a long-term relationship of nearly seven years with a woman, also 33. We have a great connection in many ways, but I have some questions about our deeper compatibility. Notably, I've always had a desire to fuck other women, and she's very clear she does not want an open relationship. We began dating at a time when my, uh, I was just coming into my own sexual confidence, so I never really got to play the field as an adult man. On moving to the Northwest from the East Coast, I found that long-term monogamous couples are a very rare breed, at least in positive communities. Two years ago, I mentioned the particular woman that I was attracted to. I also said that I needed for us to be able to communicate our desires more freely, since I didn't have any understanding of what turned her on. Turns out she was attracted to the same woman and has always been secretly turned on by girls. This led to a series of conversations about exploring a threesome. With this new honesty, I felt totally turned on and in love with her and that we could create a monogamish relationship that worked for both of us. In the two years since, the conversation has advanced, but the farthest we've gotten is both kissing a girl at a party. It was incredibly hot, blew my mind a bit, and made me see my lady in a whole new light. There have been other moments of flirtation, also very hot. However, we've yet to have a three-way. She's adamant that she only feels turned on in certain moments, which are often fleeting, and doesn't want to be perceived as creepy by pursuing. If I bring up whether she finds someone attractive, say in the middle of a party, it's usually an immediate buzzkill for her. I've initiated going to a few sex parties, but none of them have been very sexy experiences, and we often end up fighting that night. I feel trapped. On the one hand, I'm optimistic that sharing some sexual adventure would bring us much closer together. On the other, it's taking a very long time, and I don't feel I can push the issue. I also can't say whether, with certainty whether a shared threesome experience would extinguish my desire to have my own sexual experience with another woman. We've come to a point where we've started to ask whether we should break up. For her, an open relationship is a deal breaker. For me to know if I can commit to marriage, I need more adventures with or without her involved. She said that if we break up, she'd pretty much leave the city immediately, and it's tough to, for me to imagine not having her in my life, at least as a friend. I know that you're a big advocate of sexual adventure in monogamous relationships. Do you believe that can make a significant difference in a couple's dynamic? Should I just stop being impatient and allow her to initiate a three-way in one of those moments that feels right to see what effect that might have in our relationship? Or am I just dragging out a relationship with a great person that I'm ultimately not compatible with? I'm really at a loss. So what you guys are doing here is kind of playing sexual relationship, monogamy, non-monogamy, price of admission, chicken. And who's going to jump first? And you need to embrace the actual dynamic. Somebody's going to lose. Somebody's going to have to give. Somebody's going to have to look at the sort of mutually exclusive ultimatums that you have both thrown on the table and decide whether they're in or out. And she is telling you that she is not up for open relationships. She's giving you just enough sort of you know, going out to these sex parties that clearly make her unhappy – hence the fighting afterwards, just enough contemplation of threesomes to keep you in her life, right? To keep you living in hope and she hopes to run out the clock for the next 50 years, probably. And then, ah, no threesome, we're dead. And you're giving her, you're saying that your price of admission is open relationship. So these are mutually exclusive positions and one of you is going to have to shit or get off the other's face. It's time. So you've invested a lot of time and energy and sturm and drang and bullshit in this relationship and good for you. You both like stuck it out to see if you could come to terms, to see if you could push yourselves closer together and somebody has got to call the question. So you have to go to her and say, 
to move forward in this relationship, to actually commit, I need to be in an open relationship. I need to have the person that I love, that I'm committed to, that I will be loyal to, but I also need to have my sexual freedom too. And if that's not what you want, then you don't want me. And she needs to say to you, you know, what I want going forward is an exclusive sexual commitment. I want monogamy. I don't want three ways and I don't want to be with somebody who's with other people. Are you willing to give me what I want? And then one of you needs to make up your fucking minds about who's going to compromise. Are you going to settle or is she going to settle? And if neither of you are willing to settle, it is time to end what has become at this stage kind of a farce. You guys are just drawing out the inevitable confrontation and the inevitable paying of the price of admission by one or the other of you. One of you is going to have to pay that price. Who is it going to be? Time to ask. Hi, Dan. Uh, This is a 30-year-old female on the East Coast. I um, have been married for about two and a half years to a wonderful man, and we are expecting our first very wanted child. Uh, We had some fertility issues, and we have been through a lot in the past year and a half trying to get pregnant. Finally got pregnant, and we're both over the moon, super excited. I have no sex drive. I'm halfway through my pregnancy, and I feel okay. I just don't feel sexy, and I don't want to do stuff. Um, we have, you know, we snuggle and, and cuddle and touch and kiss, and we're intimate with each other. And my husband is wonderful and keeps saying he doesn't care. He's fine. He's not worried about it. It'll come back whenever it comes back. But I am, like, really struggling with the fact that it's gone and when will it come back and I don't really know what to do and I wondered if you could just tell me to get over it and just be patient and wait and see what happens or power through and start doing it and see if I feel sexy I don't know Dan please tell me Joining me to help answer this question, the host of WNYC's parenting podcast The Longest Shortest Time Hillary Frank. Hey there Hillary, how are you? Hey Dan, I'm good, thanks for having me Thanks for coming on. Uh, I was on your show, and it's only fair that you should come on mine. And I figured this is the best question, because this must come up constantly. This, I'm pregnant, and I'm not horny, and what do I do about it? Should I do anything about it? And unlike some of the questions I've gotten in the past, her husband isn't pressuring her for sex, and yet she feels guilty. And her question is, when will it come back? So in your infinite experience, when does it come back? And is it the same time frame for everybody, or does she just need to let it happen? I mean, first, I would say, of course, you don't feel horny. Like some people report to me that they do in pregnancy, but most don't. And um, the first thing that's really, really great is that your husband um, is saying that he knows you'll get it back and that he doesn't mind waiting. And you need to trust him on that if he's telling you that. And it is different for everybody when they get it back. Um, and, And I mean, I think what I would do is encourage your husband to tell you what he finds sexy about your new body because your body is changing. It's going to continue to change and there are things about it that won't go back. And 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 it's really important for you to believe and understand that there are things about your body, your new body, um, that he is going to find sexy. And And so if you can work with him on getting him to tell you what those things are with the understanding that that, that him telling you those things don't have to end in sex. I think that's mm-hmm. going to go a long way for your confidence. And then I would just say be patient with yourself. Like believe yourself that it will come back at some point. 
um, but that you might not like the same things that you used to. You know, what you used to like might hurt or be uncomfortable or just might not turn you on. Um, and that can be super frustrating. But if you have a partner who's willing to go slow with you and work with you on figuring that out, it can actually be kind of exciting. Because you can find new stuff that works for you, new stuff that turns you on. It can push you off in a different direction that can be very fulfilling. Exactly. Exactly. And it takes work for both of you. It's it's like you're not going to know until you try things. And and this is one of those instances uh, where somebody isn't taking yes for an answer. He's he's saying he's fine, that it's fine. He's being mm-hmm. patient and understanding. He's not pressuring her. And yet she's pressuring herself and feeling guilty. She's rushing into the the, the no-pressure void that he's created. There's no pressure in this room, so I'm going to put pressure on myself. And she needs to dial that back. She needs to take I'm fine from the husband for an answer here and not do to herself what so many other husbands have done to their pregnant wives and pressure herself or, or guilt trip herself about this thing that is – not a problem. It is literally, there's no problem here. Don't make it into a problem. That's right. You're not horny. Yeah. He's not pressuring you. Enjoy each other. Be intimate. Hold each other. Talk. Put down you know, markers for sex you're going to have in the future, post-pregnancy, post-infancy. You know, It could be a while after the birth before you kick back into gear. And you're going to have to give yourself time and then ramp back up slowly. But stop pressuring yourself. The, th- the thing that I think also every pregnant woman should know is that um, there's this thing out there called pelvic floor physical therapy. And um, in the event that things hurt afterwards, go do that because it will help you and it'll it'll change your sex life. What is it? Can you tell us what it is? Briefly? It's, yeah. Yeah. It's so it's basically it's physical therapy for your pelvic floor for and it that's external and internal. And so you basically like they they help kind of restructure you so that your bones are in alignment and your muscles are in alignment. And there's all there are so many things that can get out of whack when you have a baby come out either vaginally or in a C-section. And um, and it, it, that comes from carrying a baby and from giving birth. And uh, and and so so f- pelvic floor physical therapy can help put things back where they should be and, and help it so that you don't hurt. Do, do most insurance policies cover pelvic floor physical therapy or is that something that you have to fight for? Yeah. I mean, it's both. Um, it depends. And a lot of them it's out of network, but there's like a, a deductible. This is something that you'd think Hobby Lobby would be happy to pay for. Hobby Lobby, <laughs> of course, doesn't want to pay for your birth control because they want there to be as many babies as possible. So they should be excited to pay for your pelvic floor physical therapy after you've had that baby that Hobby Lobby wants you to have. That's right. Let's hope. And you're at Hobby Lobby. If you're one of the oppressed female employees at Hobby Lobby, maybe there's some silver lining in the no birth control dark cloud. When you hear about all the things that can go wrong during pregnancy, you think you you want to grab somebody on the street who's arguing for intelligent design and say, this is not an intelligent design. The way having a baby puts so much stress on uh, on a woman's body, even if everything works perfectly and goes the way it should, the 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 zap it can put on a woman's body is just so major and extreme that how could an intelligent designer be behind this? Yeah, is it worth it? Are children worth it? Should we just go extinct at this point? What the fuck? <laughs> well, I think I think it's worth it if you know that you can get it fixed, and you, <laughs> you can. Know? And you can. 
Oh, hi, Dan. I'm a 32-year-old straight woman, and my husband and I have been married for about a year and a half. And about a year ago, after we'd been married for about eight months, I had a, a premature birth, and our daughter was born at five months. And so needless to say, the past year or so has been really difficult dealing with that and um, all the stuff that goes along with that. But in the past couple months, you know, we've gotten to the point where we're ready to try and have another child. And, you know, we've been trying for several months now. And, you know, just trying to have a baby in general is a stressful kind of thing because, you know, we've always had a just a wonderful, wonderful sex life and are really attracted to each other and really into it. But, you know, all of a sudden when you have to do something, it's just kind of like a lot more difficult to do. And then, you know, you add this layer of stuff on top of it with having lost our daughter. And then, you know, all of a sudden it's not just an obligation, but it's also scary and, you know, just all these other things as well. So, um, in any case, we're trying to find ways to keep it fun or, you know, it's just at this point, it's like, oh, okay, so we have to do it for these, you know, seven days or five days or whatever. And it's just really hard to get into it. You know, we try lingerie and, you know, doing it in different places and all these things to try and mix it up and try and make it more fun. But it's just a really hard Thing to have sex and want to do it and you know instead of just like a chore that we kind of both dread and we talk about it a lot both of us anyways I was just wondering if you had any advice on different stuff that we could try or you know anything to kind of make this process easier and bring it back to the fun it seems to me and, and correct me if I'm wrong and I think you're more of an expert in this area by far than I am that she should adjust her expectations that the kind of sex that she was having five years ago, the getting to know you sex with her partner and her husband, the sort of fun, adventurous sex for pleasure is not the kind of sex she's having right now. And she should stop measuring the sex she's having right now for at a different time in her life and for a different reason against the yardstick of the sex she was having when they first met. Yeah. I mean, I think that's right. And that's, that's sort of a universal long-term relationship thing. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think also, there's a devastating loss here. And and I feel like the most important thing you can do in a situation like this is to not pretend like it like it didn't happen, you know, to deal with the loss and to, to talk about it. It sounds like she has, um, you know, see a grief counselor if you want to or need to. Um, but also, like, remember that you're on the same team. You and your partner on, mm-hmm. are on the same team. Like these kind of situations have the potential to drive you apart or to make you closer to a person. And there's there's like there's nothing sexier than someone who really gets you. Um and and I would encourage them to use that when they're when they're being intimate. And I, I don't mean just like when you're getting ready to have perfectly timed sex, you know? I'm talking about like being close and like doing things together that you've never done before. Like uh, really simple stuff like walk around a part of your city together that you've never been in or eat a kind of food you've never tried or listen to a kind of music you've never heard. Have new experiences together that aren't all about mourning the loss of the other baby or 
trying to have a new baby. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like that, like it's all related and it's all related to feeling intimate with somebody. Um, And also I think like, just remember you don't, you don't have a kid yet and uh, use that to your advantage. You, you know, you can, you can do it whenever you want. So Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you need to do it on certain days and that, that sort of takes some of the fun out of it. Um, But you could do it in the morning or at night, or you could sneak out at lunch for a quickie if that's something you could do. But like, you can be playful with each other in a way that isn't as possible when you have kids. And it let it be a different kind of sex. And there's yeah. sex that I think people have in the wake of grief and loss and tragedy that is more about, I, I think, reclaiming yourself, more about reclaiming life in, in this affirming way. But it can be very different, less sort of casually fun and celebratory and less taking life for granted, more like reasserting that life is to be lived. And, you know, I'm not comparing the loss and there's nothing more devastating than the loss of a child, but the, the, and I hate to drag my own dick into it, but the sex I had in the wake of my mother's death was very different than the sex Terry and I were having in the months before. You know what I mean? It was just very, Mm -hmm. it was very sad. It was, but very loving and tender, but we had to let it be different. And I guess, you know, from my own personal experience with loss, not equating the losses, and I would just tell the caller to go ahead and be sad and have sex that you can have mm-hmm. sex from a place of, of grief and loss where you're rewiring yourself, reestablishing those connections and looking to the future from this point right now of grief and loss. And that's okay to experience sex differently in the wake of that kind of loss to let it mean something else. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's right. I mean, you know, I haven't lost um, a pregnancy, but I had a really, really, I had a really, really rough um, childbirth injury and um, it really impacted my sex life. And I think um, like there was grief and loss around that. And again, not to equate them, but I, I think that um, I wish someone had told me don't just pretend like it didn't happen just but but like work work on it together work through it together and like you said like it's okay to be sad and um put away the fucking lingerie stop like trying to play up a kind of performative uh up with people happy you know consequence free life is you know a cabaret kind of fucking sex right now that's not where you are and don't mm-hmm. pretend to be there. Don't hustle yourself to that place because you're just going to feel alien in that place. It's not where you are. You'll get back there in time. But for right now, like put away the fucking lingerie and lay together and stop stop wanting it to be what it was and let it be where it is and then grow from there. And you'll get back to that place most likely. Most people do. But right now, have sad sex. Sad sex is a thing. Yeah, and use it as a way to use it as a way to connect rather than a way to produce a baby. Right. E- even though that's the goal. And don't use it to deny. Yeah. And if you want to have a good cry during or after, go the right the fuck ahead. Yeah. Because then sex can be part of your healing process. And right now it sounds like she's using sex as kind of a denial mechanism or, or, or sometimes to, to block the grief instead of like flowing through it, which you just got to flow through. You got to fuck through it sometimes. You got to fuck through the grief. Mm-hmm. Ah, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Hillary Frank. 
Thanks for having me on, Dan. Big fan of your show. Find it on iTunes and WNYC's parenting podcast, The Longest Shortest Time. You also have Facebook pages for moms and dads. Anything else you want people out there in my audience to know about your show? Yeah, we have an app now um, where you can answer our questions every other week and we put our favorite answers on the show. You can find it on the iTunes store. Thank you so much, Hillary. It was great having you. Thanks, Dan. Hello, I am a 29-year-old straight female living in the Pacific Northwest. And I have a question regarding my propensity to fall for people, for men, who have destructive addictions, are emotionally troubled, are, are recovering from childhood wounds. They also tend to be in poor working order and are either unwilling or incapable of meeting my needs. And I'm aware of facilitating men's healing and growing process as a way to connect with them more profoundly. Um, so I'm wondering how I can experience the deep connection that comes with helping a romantic partner in his time of darkness without having to date damaged men. So basically what you're saying is that you really want to be a fireman, you really want to save people from fires, but you don't want to run into any more burning buildings. Well, you can't have that concept of yourself as a fireman who saves people from fires without being the person who runs into burning buildings. Translating now, you can't cling to this narcissistic identity that you've created for yourself as the healer of damaged men without having to date damaged men. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Your pussy is not Lourdes. You are not going to pour the healing waters out of your vaginal canal over some fucked up, emotionally troubled, destructively addicted, wounded from childhood guy and heal him. You have got to take some responsibility for what your concept of yourself, the havoc it is wreaking in your life. You have this idea that you are magic and that your pussy is lords and you can take these guys and you can fix them and you can get really close by connecting with them so profoundly when you help them through their time of darkness. Here's the, here's the thing. Darkness and damage comes for us all in the end. We are all going to die. Shitty stuff is going to happen to all of us. You don't have to go find guys who are in the throes of addiction or emotionally troubled or still working through their childhood wounds to be there for a guy in his time of darkness. You can find a decent, nice guy who's in good working order, right? Not perfectly healthy. Nobody's perfectly healthy. I'm not saying that you shouldn't date somebody with a history of mental illness. I'm not saying you shouldn't date somebody who's got damage that they've struggled with and overcome, but you should find somebody in good working order and date them and trust in fate. Trust that fate will deliver you to those moments when you will be able to help them through their time of darkness, right? And your emotional connection, which is already present, perhaps will be deepened by that crisis or strained by it or tested by it. But you need to fucking relax, date decent, healthy-ish, like we all want to be healthy-ish guys who are in good working order, and stop thinking of yourself as 
Florence Nightingale, Mother Teresa, Magic Pussy Lord's Lady, who's going to save all the broken men. Or embrace that identity. You are the savior of broken men, but then you're the fireman who has to run into the burning buildings and you don't get to bitch about the burning building you're standing in the middle of if being a fireman is really important to you. If being the rescuer, the, the repairer of damaged men is really important to you, stop bitching about dating damaged men. If you don't want to date damaged men, you need to take that self-concept, take that idea of yourself as the savior of damaged men out behind the barn and shoot it and put it away. Kill it. Dead. And that is my advice for you. Hi, Dan. I have a question, but first a bit of backstory. I have an ex-boyfriend turned fuck buddy. He's essentially still a boyfriend, but we don't discuss that. He makes time for me to hang out outside of having sex, is emotionally supportive and caring as much as he can be. He's more than a decade my senior. I'm in my early 20s. He's a strange man, uncommunicative, with moods abrupt and changeful. He has stated he does not communicate, and I found this to be true. Some of his behaviors confuse me and leave me emotionally drained. I want to understand his ways. He has an ex-girlfriend he speaks of fondly and with some frequency. She lives on the other side of the continent, but I acquired a mailing address for her through a directory. They ended on bad terms. She said she never wanted to see him again. I suspect it would be an invasion of her privacy and right to leave her past behind her or I to reach out to her for guidance on this man or any insights she might have about his character. But she's not spoken to him in more than a decade. Do you think it would be wrong for me or I suspect very creepy to reach out to her? Is that very inappropriate or is it something that I could do and she would have the ability to ignore it completely if it made her uncomfortable. What do you think? Rather than contacting the ex of your ex but current fuck buddy, I think you should make your ex but current fuck buddy your ex fuck buddy. Again, this is I guess going to be the theme of the day. Your pussy ain't lures. There aren't healing waters. It's not your job to fix this guy and, and, and you won't be able to fix him. And, and that woman that you want to contact out of the blue after 10 years, after her wanting nothing to do with this man and cutting him out of her life, the last thing she's going to want to do is provide you with the keys to the kingdom or whatever you think it is that she's going to give you. Obviously, if she had some special insight in how to repair this man, she would have repaired him herself. And that's not the way relationships work. Relationships are not garages where you go for a tune-up and go for repairs. You have to you have to do you, like the kids say these days. You have to bring to a relationship yourself in good and decent working order, which does not mean perfectly healthy without flaws, without irrationalities or insecurities. You get to be fully human, but you have to present yourself in good working order. And this guy is not presenting himself to you or anyone else in good working order, and you can't fix him. Stop trying to get interpersonal relationship blood from this fucked up stone. All right? Leave his ex-girlfriend alone. Don't compound his 
uncommunicative weirdness with your own crazy, obsessive whatever. Don't do it. Don't do it. Leave her alone. Dump him. Go fuck somebody else. There's 3.5 billion men on the planet. You will find some other guy who needs you. I'm not saying that we shouldn't date people who need us. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be with people who we bring something to the table that makes their lives easier, that we, we don't complete them, but we, by our presence, whether it's a, a material issue or an emotional issue or something, we help them live their lives. That's different than we take something that is a complete disaster and make it into a utopian paradise. That's not possible. We can't do that with our dicks. We can't do that with our twats. We can't do that. But you need to go find a guy who's in good enough working order that you can have a relationship with him. And this guy ain't that guy. Stop throwing good pussy after bad date somebody else. Hi, Dan. I have a question about sort of what the term by curious exactly means. I mean, I know what the dictionary definition is, but I'm curious exactly how this is different from bisexual. And if so, how to, I am, I've always considered myself straight all my life, but now I am starting to think of myself as by curious, I guess, in the ways that I've used to experience sort of same-sex encounters. And I have no good idea of how to act on this. Um, I'm about to enter college soon. Um, as far as all my friends know, I am just straight, although I have very limited sexual, really none, or romantic experience with even guys. And I am just curious what a good way to act on sort of bisexual curiosity would be for somebody who is not necessarily bisexual, but maybe just curious. When you get to your college, uh, assuming it's a big state school or liberal arts college or something progressive, go to the LGBTQQIALFTSPP Center, also known as the Lesbian Gay Bi Trans, queer, questioning, intersex, asexual, leather fetish, two-spirited, poly, and pan student center and ask them about the LGBTQQIALFTSPP group that you can join. And you are in that alphabet soup, Q for queer and questioning. And you are, although you have been default straight identified so far up to this point in your life, you are now questioning your sexuality and you are wondering exactly what the difference is between bicurious and bisexual. And I think that's uh, I think that's a question that anybody should be able to answer. It's one of the easy, low-hanging fruit questions on the SATs. Bicurious means you're curious about potential same-sex sex that you think you might be bisexual. And bisexual means you know you're bisexual. And right now you're cur- you're wondering what's up with you. And so you are covered by one of the cues and that long string of letters, the questioning cue. Go to the group. You will meet other women like you. A lot of young queer people have this fear that if they go to a group like that or they get out there in the community, everyone they meet is going to be so much further along, so secure in their sexuality. They're going to have their shit sorted. They're going to know who, who and what they are and who and what they want to fuck. And that's not true that you will meet out there in the LGBTQQIALFTSPP community. You will meet all sorts of people at different stages of their own development, sexually, gender-wise, self-conception-wise, relationship-wise, and you will find your little crew. Maybe you will meet another girl who's curious like you, and you can satisfy your curiosity together. Maybe you'll meet somebody 
who's a little more experienced and a little more certain about who they are, and they will help you figure out the answers to your questions just as someone once helped them figure out the answers to theirs. Good luck. Have fun. Hey, Dan. Early 30s male from Texas. The problem I'm having is with a new relationship. I was seeing a woman for a few months earlier this year. She and I connected really well intellectually and share many interests and lifestyle choices. She is quite a catch in those regards. She is a few years older than me and a mother of a five-year-old boy and only recently broke up with the child's father who she was with for almost 10 years. She says I'm the first guy she's had sex with since him. We recently got back together after a month's break, which was mostly due to the following situation. The issue is that, though I really like her, our sex is the worst I've ever had. She likes the lights off, to be wrapped in a blanket where I can't enjoy seeing her body, and says when I talk to her during sex, she can't come. I also feel like I'm expected to silently bark the shit out of her instead of the sex being more of a conversation between bodies. She also doesn't like me to look at her during sex. Furthermore, I think my dick is too big for her. I can feel it hitting her cervix when she's on top. This is one of the weirdest things because she looks like she's wincing in pain, but says she likes it. Our sexual connection is pretty cold. Needless to say, she has not achieved orgasm in three months of having regular sex with me. I understand she may be programmed from past experiences with her child's father or from some event in the past she hasn't told me about, but the biggest worry is that I'm doing something that doesn't allow the space for her to be satisfied or to heal from whatever seems to have traumatized her sexually. Either way, the sex is lackluster in relation to most previous lovers who seem to rejoice in the sex and with whom I usually felt a strong sense of ecstatic physical union even if only hooking up. I would love to be able to open this woman to sexual fulfillment so we can experience that together, but I almost feel it would be better for her to experience other partners, especially because she has told me she finds much of what I do weird, even though it's pretty vanilla. Changing sexual positions, sex standing up, sex outside of the bedroom, etc. I would like to think this could change into a more fulfilling relationship with more orgasms, more physical union, more playfulness, and less shame in the bedroom, yet I often feel doubtful. But I'm willing to give it a thorough try because her companionship and intellect is fantastic. What should I do? In the dark, wrapped in a blanket, in complete silence, plus shame at the end, a little bonus a little cherry on the Sunday of shame because you want to change positions, have sex standing up, have sex not in the bedroom, all those insanely kinky things that you're interested in. This is not someone uh, that I would put my dick in twice and I don't understand why you're putting your dick in her again. I, I actually do understand. You like her. If the sex was better, if the sex was good – if the sex was with the lights on and not wrapped in blankets and didn't have to be completed in complete silence and didn't come with a bonus bullshit blast of shame at the end, it might be a great relationship. But it's not going to be a great relationship because it's all those things, right? The sex is all those horrible things. So you have two choices. You can continue to see this woman, continue to have sex with this woman and live in hope that this will improve all on its own, or you can shove all your chips into the center of the table and say something like this to her. 
look, I like you. I'd like to continue to see you, but we're going to have to work on the sex because in a long term, perhaps committed, ostensibly default setting for straight people, sexually exclusive monogamous relationship, a sexual connection that's joyful is important to me. And if that isn't possible, then we're not going to work out over the long term. So you're just giving her all the information that she needs to make an informed choice about whether to continue to see you because continuing to see you means she cannot continue to have sex or cannot indefinitely continue to have sex in this shamey, shut down way that she enjoys, in quotation marks, having sex now. It could be she's not so interested in sex. Maybe she'll open up to you about past traumas. Maybe she's asexual. Maybe she wants a relationship, wants the emotional connection and could take or leave and would prefer to leave sex. In which case, there are guys out there who are perfect for her. I get letters all the time from the women who are sadly married to those guys and are really unhappy about the state of their sex lives. And these women are eventually going to leave their husbands and their husbands will then be free to find someone like your girlfriend to partner with where the relationship won't be about sex, where sex won't be on the menu. And it can just be a wonderful, loving, companionate relationship leading to marriage. You, on the other hand, you want something more. You can say to her, this is what I want out of my sex life with my committed partner. And then she can decide whether that's something that she can do, can work toward, is interested in doing, and stay or go. But I don't think that you can compromise on this. Of course, you can compromise around – we all compromise around our sexuality. Not everybody gets everything they want sexually out of a partner, right? We all pay prices of admission here and there around our sex lives. But you can't compromise on a joyful and free and ecstatic sexual connection and you do not have that with her. And you need to ask her if that's something you will ever have with her. And if it ain't, sounds like you two would make wonderful friends. Hi, Dan. I am a 24-year-old bi girl. I've been in a wonderful relationship with my boyfriend for a little over a year and a half. We lived together. Uh, and then we got together. He was sleeping with a bunch of different girls. And I thought that was really sexy. And I encouraged him to keep sleeping with them, thinking, you know, maybe I could join in. It'd be really fun. And I'd never had a boyfriend who was really comfortable with that before, even though I'd always hoped that my past partners, uh, both male and female, would be into that kind of thing. Um, as our relationship progressed, we have had a couple experiences with other women, um, and always in the moment, they've been really hot, really good. I've had a great time, been really happy to be able to engage with them, and even though I'm in this awesome relationship with a guy, um, but then afterwards felt intensely jealous, and it's become this thing where, you know, over time, he stopped sleeping with other women, not because I asked him to, but because he sort of wanted to, um, and my joy in him being wanted by and wanting other women has really faded where obviously his like wish for that has not because, you know, we're all human. Um, and I think that I thought, you know, that I was a little bit more open uh, to an open relationship than I really am um, being faced with the reality of it. So here is my question. Um, we still together look for and engage with women to perhaps have threesomes with, and we always get really close uh, to making plans with them or getting into bed with them. And I repeatedly have pulled the plug at the very last minute and I can tell it's really frustrating him. Um, but my worry is that if I, you know, either call this off completely and say, I don't want to do this anymore. He will, you know, really miss it and feel sad about not having it. Even though he says 
that he won't and he's fine with just me, I can tell that he, you know, would really miss that. Um, and on my end, I'm not sure that I want to pull the plug because I miss having sex with ladies and I like having sex with him with ladies. It's really hot. Um, but I just get so jealous and sad afterwards. To complicate this a little bit further, we are in a DS relationship, and he's like the first guy that I've engaged with in that way, and so I really feel uncomfortable, even though he encourages me to really speak my mind, and outside of the bedroom, we have an incredibly equitable relationship um, in terms of like a power dynamic, but I have a really hard time saying, I don't want this, I'm uncomfortable with you being with other girls, and so I end up just not saying anything and being sad about it on my own, and then he ends up having these girls on our way over to the apartment, and I'm like, no, 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 I can't do this last minute, and it's become this really frustrating dynamic. So my question is, what should I do about this? Should I just call it off and see if we are fine, just the two of us, or should I try and just keep having these threesomes with girls because I do love them when we have them, and it turns me on, it's so fun, and I'll learn to deal with the jealousy. I just can't tell how this is going to work. I really love this guy. He's like incredibly wonderful and such a good listener and great in bed. And we live together and it's great. And I really think this is, you know, a forever type of thing. But the idea of looking down the barrel of a lifetime dealing with these back and forth jealousy issues is sort of driving me crazy. So if you had any advice, I'd be really uh, grateful. Um, and any, you know, additional pointers you have about trying to be happy in a monogamous relationship, which is something I think I want, uh, but maybe only in theory. So, I'm just going to summarize your call to make sure that we're on the same page. You're with this great guy. You love him. The sex is awesome. You're exploring things that you really enjoy and always want to explore. You could see yourself with him all your life. You have a great time with him. He's he's great. But there's a price of admission that you may have to pay to be with him, which is occasionally having a three-way with another woman. And you love those three-ways. And the sex is great. And you love having sex with women. And that is the price of admission that you have to pay. Where shall I send the sympathy card? <laughs> I like, totally see it, that that is true. And I try and say that to myself, but for some reason, the like green monster of jealousy rears its ugly head post these three ways mm-hmm. in such an intense way that it makes things like unpleasant for both of us. And I think that he is sort of at the point where he's like, you're so jealous after this, this sucks, but you, but I want to keep having them and you like them. So why can't you like, just deal with yourself. And I know that he's not going to like leave me for these girls, but I can't reconcile the fact that like now that he's had sex with him, then maybe he'll want to have sex with him again, even though that like, I guess, isn't what he says he wants. It's just, I can't wrap my mind around it. What if he wanted to have sex with them again? What would be so terrible about that? What if you guys had a regular third or somebody who came by more than once and, and fucked you both? Maybe that would be better. (laughs) <laughs> I don't understand why that's a nightmare scenario. Like if you guys had sex with somebody and you clicked and you enjoyed her and he enjoyed her, what you've just expressed is your, you know, bedrock fear that he might want to fuck this other person again to me seems goofy. Like if you find somebody and you click with them, you know, you're, you're, you guys are in an open monogamous relationship. So am I. So mine's like that too. If you find somebody and it works and it's fun, why start flipping over rocks again, looking for somebody else? Why not just enjoy that person and, and, and allow there to be a connection? 
Even, you know, so long as you guys are still each other's primary partners, so long as you guys are prioritizing each other, taking care of each other, you know, checking in with each other, there being another person that you can trust, who respects your relationship and who likes being your third, like your nightmare scenario to me sounds like pretty great. Yeah, you're actually right. And And, the, the other thing I would say, though, and this is paradoxical. You should call it off for a while. He's told you that he will stop doing this if that's what you need. And I think just as a demonstration to yourself that he will prioritize your comfort by you know, turning this valve off if that's what you want him to do may make you more comfortable turning it back on, knowing that it's a, a switch you can flip back and forth. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that you, a really, really good point. That you have some control and it will demonstrate to you his – respect for your primacy in his life yeah. and the way he values mm-hmm. your relationship. So even if it feels arbitrary, even if it feels like, you know, on some level you're testing him or playing a game, that's okay for you to say, you know what? I just need to see that if for my comfort, we need to like knock this off for a month or two yeah, that we can do that successfully and that it's not going to destroy our relationship. That, that I'm more important to you than this may make me more comfortable with that. Yeah, that's such a good point also because then I won't be so irritating him all the time like, oh, yeah, sure, let's do it. No, no, thanks. It's like it'll give us both a break and then if we start again, yeah, that's a really good point. A little break, a little reset. And yeah. a, a little bit of learning to talk yourself off the fucking ledge, right? How, how long <laughs> right. have you guys been together? Um, A little over a year and a half. Okay. And how many three ways have you had? Three. Three? And how many other women yeah. has he had sex with in that time? Uh, Three. Three? Just those three? Yeah. Yeah. And how many women has he left you for? (laughs) None. Okay. After a while, you have to take yes and I'm still here for an answer. That doesn't mean yes forever or he'll be there forever. Relationships end. Every relationship we're going to be in is going to fail until one doesn't. A year and a half is not 25 years. And people who are together 25, 30 years break up and get divorced too. There are no guarantees. Enjoy each other while you're together and stop stressing about worst case scenarios because – that will make your worst case scenario likelier to happen. If you know your relationship becomes this paranoid, scorched earth hellscape because you're so <laughs> freaked out and jealous and insecure when you have when he's given you really no cause to be, that incentivizes yeah. pulling the plug. Like she's so worried about me leaving her for somebody else that she's making me miserable. So I I think <laughs> I need to leave her for somebody else. It's not gonna make me fucking miserable. Oh, God, you're so right. It's also not like I don't want this. I'm totally bi. I love fucking these girls. It's like I should be like singing from the rooftops about this. Okay, then so. you need to – when I say you need to talk yourself off the ledge, at those moments when you're jealous, you need to like be able to say to him and he needs to be able to say to you – you need to be able to say, I'm having my little irrational jealousy meltdown right now about this. And he needs to like yeah. say there's nothing to be jealous about and you guys need to like make – processing and accommodating and handling and working through your insecurity, sort of post-orgasmic insecurity backwash, (laughs) almost like a ritual, like an aftercare ritual where you're like, here's me me feeling jealous. And he's like, here's me eating your pussy, not going anywhere, nothing to be jealous about. Wasn't that great? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And and you can manage your insecurities. You can manage in, in an open relationship your jealousy and jealousy touches people in close relationships and has to be managed. But I think it touches people in open relationships sometimes more profoundly and it's right. still, and it still has to be managed. And you know, this show to earlier in the show, we're talking about, 
you know, we want partners who are good working order. That doesn't mean perfect, perfectly healthy. And one of the sort of good working order, but not, you know, absolutely perfect thing that typically people do for each other, they bring to the table is I honor and I will work with your insecurities and I will offer (laughs) you blandishments and reassurances when they pop up. And it becomes a game. You know, it can become sort of rote and ritualistic and, and formalized. Yeah. And, it, and it's, then it becomes – and the more rote and ritualistic and formalized it becomes, the quicker you process your way through it. You have right, your three-way. Right. The next morning you're like, here I am feeling jealous. And he's like, here I am putting my dick in you. Nothing to feel jealous about. Over. <laughs> it, it gets quicker once you like can label it an irrational insecurity that I need some like – demonstration of reassurance for right now and then I'm done. I'm fine. But giving up on three ways that you like, that you enjoy. Right, right. Of course. I have to remind myself that. Because of these little blow-ups of jealousy seems like too high a price for you to pay. Like, set him aside. Who gives a shit about him? Like, look what you're sacrificing (laughs) on the altar of your own insecurities. Why would you sacrifice that pleasure, that, that thing you enjoy so much on the altar of your own insecurities? Yeah, totally. That's, that's such a good point. Talk yourself yeah. off the fucking ledge. Tell him he needs to talk you off the <laughs> ledge too. Get off the ledge quicker and take a break. Take a yeah. month off. No, no three ways, no setups for a month. And then, you know what? The next time after that month, when you're going to set one up, this is what you're going to tell yourself. You have to go through with it. Right. Yeah. He, he respects totally. your wanting to like turn, turn it off for a month. And then you, power through your moment of panic and insecurity when she's on her way over. You throw throw yourself into it. Do that for him after he does that for you. Yeah, that's fair. Good luck. Yeah, totally. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you. You're welcome. Lots of people out there are going to listen. Uh, You're welcome. Lots of people out there are going to listen to your problem and be so jealous and wish their problems (laughs) were like more like your problems. My problem is all this awesome sex is giving me a feeling. That's too bad. I feel terrible for you. Good luck. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Oh, hi. Uh, This is a um, straight married woman in Seattle. I'm actually calling um, about my husband. Um, My husband is bi. Um, He's been bi. Um, You know, I've known that as long as uh, as long as we've been dating. So I, it was never an issue between. I mean, you know, it was never an issue between us. As I said, we've been married 11 years. Um, in in that time, um, he hasn't been super open about his bisexuality. Just different reasons, you know. Needless to say, his close friends know. But um, you know, re- recently, uh, because of you've been talking about bi visibility, I- I've really been encouraging my husband to be more open about his bisexuality. And, and since then, he's come out to more friends and close family members about it. Um, and everything so far was fine um, until uh, he-, he he came out to one of his friends at a dad's group from our church. Him and this 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 uh, other guy had been hanging out like once a week for like two months. So um, my husband felt like they were pretty close at that point. But as soon as my husband came out as bi to to this other uh, this other dad, um, this other dad freaked out and stopped talking and calling and hanging out with him for like three months. And then kind of out of the blue, after three months, this other dad calls up my husband and is like, oh, hey, let's hang out. And my husband's like, okay, sure, whatever. 
and they hang out, and um, this other dad reveals that um, he he has been worried for three months that my husband was trying to hit on him when he came out as bi, and my husband was like, oh my God, no, that's not what was going on at all, but, you know, nothing he could say, you know, my husband could tell, nothing he could say was convincing this other guy. Anyway, so anyway, um, that being said, my husband... He's really torn up about this. It brings back feelings. Um, we, we are church, you know, we are Christians. We do go to church. And, you know, so needless to say, this is not the first um, encounter with bigotry that we have encountered in the church culture. But it's the first that my husband has encountered, like, for a while, uh, a really long time. It really brings back bad memories, and he's really torn up about it, and he feels like his trust is betrayed. Um, but because my husband is a counselor, he also feels like he needs to... Uh, we're actually leaving our church mainly because of our church's stance on gay issues. But anyway, um, my husband really feels like he has to meet with this other dad, this other guy, one more time, just so he won't feel so bad about it inside, I guess. Anyway, um, I would really like some advice from my husband. Um, I hate I hate seeing him so uh, torn up about this inside. I hate that this is upsetting him so much. I just, I really would like some words of advice, Dan. Uh, That would really be great. The more your husband works at convincing this asshole from that dad's group that he wasn't hitting on him, the more emotionally invested your husband seems in this guy's feelings and opinions and his relationship with this guy, the more that guy, that asshole, is going to tell himself that your husband is hitting on him. There's no winning this. Cut the motherfucker out of your lives. Your husband needs to accept that when you come out as lesbian, gay, bi, or trans, and good for him that he's coming out to more people as bi, that's wonderful and tremendous, but it does come bundled occasionally with social costs, right? It can damage your relationship with your parents. You can lose friends. You can wind up moving to a new church, which is something that you guys should have done ages ago. It annoys me, actually, that you were sitting there knowing that your church's stance on gay issues was terrible as a queerish couple. One of you is bi, and yet you're in this church where they're saying shitty things about gay people, and that was not okay to the lesbians and gays who are part of your community. But this problem that your husband has, this crisis, is really of his own creation. Well, that's not entirely fair. The asshole, that reaction, the shitty reaction, the assumption that if somebody tells you that they're gay or by some guy, a friend, they would only say that to you. They would only give you that information if they wanted to get into your pants. I got that reaction from some friends when I came out to them as a teenager, that reaction from other teenagers. It's a childish, self-centered, insecure reaction on the part of this asshole. And your husband cannot be invested in the opinions of assholes. He cannot be so invested in this relationship with this asshole that he's just going to keep showing up, making dates to hang out with this asshole so this asshole can continue to abuse him, continue to Be shitty to him. Fuck that guy. Your husband 
being out about who he is, being honest about who he is, it cost him something. Yes, that happens when you're out. And in those moments, you don't stare at that thing you lost. You don't stare at the cost, grieving it endlessly and forever. You put that cost into perspective by staring at, by focusing on the shit you've gained. There has to be relationships in your husband's life that have been improved by being out. There has to be relationships that he has now that are deeper and more meaningful or just newer. You may know new people that were deepened or achieved or won by dint of being out. So that cost that he's paid, he lost the friendship of a shitty asshole who once he really knew who he was, didn't want to be his friend anymore. He lost that cost paid. Tell your husband to focus on the stuff, the shit that he's gained by being out and not to worry about that fucker anymore. Hey, I was just listening to the most recent podcast and the couple who was talking about the weird couch surfing experience. I just wanted to say that as a woman who couch surfs all alone, all over the world, I really rely on people like that who have had weird experiences <laughs> to say something and write honest reviews. I think the idea behind couch surfing is amazing, and I overall love participating. If someone had had experience that, it would mean a lot to me as a surfer, and especially as somebody who's surfing alone and a woman who's surfing alone, to know that before I got myself into any uncomfortable situations. Hi, Dan. I'm calling to comment on episode 452, The Woman Who Enjoys Being a Misbehaved Wife. When I heard her call, I thought she was asking like what they call in the BDSM world a brat, which is a bottom who enjoys challenging their top. She should maybe look into role-playing the uppity bottom role with her husband, and it might be a safer outlet for her bad behavior. Hey, Dan, I'm calling about the well-behaved wife. I understand this woman completely. Here's the thing that she's got to understand, though. It's the risk that's exciting. It's the danger. It's the maybe I might get caught. The grown-up response is when you take an action, you take on that risk. So, yeah, your husband might catch you, and, yeah, you might blow up your life. That's part of it. If she can accept that and quit trying to change other people, then she'll be fine. Go on and be a poorly behaved wife. But if you drive while you've had a little bit too much to drink, you're going to go to jail. That's just the way it works. If your husband catches you hanging out with this other guy, it might ruin your marriage. That's the way that works. So grow up. Keep being risky if you want to. I'm risky all the time, but I'm risky in ways that don't threaten to blow up my marriage. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Hillary Frank on Twitter at LongestShortest. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and Nancy and the Tech Savvy At Risk Youth. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.